I am, and then kind of gives a description of himself. We've heard that Jesus is the bread of life who sustains us every day, the light of the world, who shows us the way home through the wilderness, the good shepherd and the gate, who, sh- who uh, is the sh- for the sheep to carefully protect, protect his flock. He is the way, the truth, and the life, who is the only way to the Father. And he is the resurrection and the life who conquered death. The final I am statement um, of, in the book of John is in John 15. So if you want to turn um, to John 15, chapters verses 1 to 11, they'll come up on the screen and on the screen at home if you don't have a Bible. So starting from verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've spoken to you. You will abide in my life, just as I have kept my father's commandments, that's important, (laughs) and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All of the I am statements that we've heard um, so far, all the ones I just listed, they um, are part of a bigger story in the Bible. They all have a history. So when Jesus talks about being the bread of life, Uh, The listeners would have remembered when God fed the Israelites with manna in the wilderness. When he talks about being a shepherd, they would have thought of um, God's promise in the Old Testament that he would come and shepherd his sheep. So when Jesus says he's the vine, he's not just picked an image out of the air. He's chosen a word with a rich history. He's talking about being a grapevine. So the vine is the kind of main plant and has all these branches that comes off it which bears the fruit, which has the grapes on. And the grapevine was a big deal for the Jewish people. So if you'd asked any of the 12 disciples, I'm going to pick Thaddeus here because I don't think he gets much (laughs) airtime. Say you'd said, hey, Thaddeus, who is the vine? He'd have said, well, firstly, thanks for asking me. And secondly, (laughs) the vine is obviously Israel. Everyone knows that. If you uh, read Psalm 80, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. That's talking about us. That's talking about Israel. See, the vine was the symbol of Israel. It was on their coins. It was on their temple. In primary school, it would have been embroidered on their school blazer. Israel was the vine. But if our friend Thaddeus had quoted from Isaiah 5 we'd have heard that things don't go so well for the vine. 
says, uh, talking about God, he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And then a bit later, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This is the story of the vine. God took his people out of Egypt and he planted them like a vine in, the, in good soil in the promised land. He carefully tended to it. He protected it with walls. He watered it. And yet the vine did not produce good fruit. Israel did not walk in obedience to God. And so the good fruit that they were supposed to produce became sour grapes. But Jesus is the true vine. The commandments that sat on the whole nation of Israel now rest on the shoulders of this one man who will himself fulfill them. He will bear the fruit that the Father is looking for from his people, and he will be obedient to the Father, the vine dresser. When we start following Jesus, we are attached to this vine. We become branches of the vine. That means that we get in on the finished work of Jesus. That means that the obedience that Jesus lived to the Father, we get in on that. It means that Jesus' own life flows to us. We're in. If you follow Jesus, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Colossians 1.27 says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you remember nothing else from today, then I think that's plenty to be getting on with. We are in Christ. We are the branches of this glorious vine. But now that we're in, these verses that I've read in John 15 are a picture of what it means to live a life in Christ. Or to use the word that Jesus repeats in this passage, to abide in the vine. Jesus here is teaching his disciples, what does it look like then, now that we're attached, to be branches in the true vine? He describes the way that God works in our lives to bring about fruit as we stick closely to him. The first thing we learn about being a branch is that the father, the vine dresser, is going to do some gardening. Look at um, verse 2 here. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. For those walking with Jesus and following him, we will produce fruit. Our character changes. Sin is rooted out from our lives. We begin to look more and more like Jesus. But bearing fruit always every branch. It always involves the painful process of being cut back, of being pruned. Now, if you own a grapevine to make wine from, you know your vine like the back of your hand. I actually know a thing or two about vines. Now, I did a bit of research. I get lots of suggested <laughs> videos now about like vines and um, vineyards in Australia, which is no use to me anymore. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Far more than I do, they know their vine like the back of their hand. So you know exactly how it needs to be pruned in order to produce more fruit next year. And to keep it growing healthily year after year, 
because as the vine is cut and shaped, it will grow stronger and healthier into the future. If you're a vine dresser, you take into account the season, the soil, the weather, how mature the vine is, and how much pruning you know it can take. Every cut of your knife is deliberate and careful. Pruning is not the reckless hacking of a plant. It's the careful work of an expert. In writing this, I was reminded of some uh, reckless hacking of a plant um, <laughs> in my childhood. My um, parents had this bush, um, or like a hedge in their garden, and I don't know where I got this idea from, but like some kind of prodigious hedge artist, I decided to uh, create this glorious sculpture out of this small <laughs> bush. You obviously know where this is going. Um, it was a mess. <laughs> there were just like great holes like hacked in it, and obviously my mum was not the most happy. But that is not what our father is like with us. When the father prunes us, it can feel painful. It can feel sharp when branches of our lives seem to be, that seem to be bearing fruit, they're then cut off. When we're pruned, we can look at our lives and ask God, what have you left me with? I feel small, feel bare, feel exposed. And it's not just things in our lives that he prunes, it's things in our own hearts. He cuts away and reveals things in our hearts that are painful to see, that we would prefer to remain hidden. As Grace Church, over the past 10 months, we've experienced a kind of collective pruning experience, haven't we? Things that felt healthy and fruitful were suddenly taken away from us. Our social justice ministries, our in-person kids' work, home groups gathered around dining table, Sundays here in this building together worshipping. But as well as this corporate pruning experience, there are those of us listening today who are experiencing profound personal pruning. And it feels confusing and painful. We can be pruned through disappointment, loneliness, loss, seasons of feeling misunderstood, times where we feel we've been given a promise or a prophecy, but then it just hasn't quite worked out the way we thought it would. We're pruned through criticism, failure, conflict, feeling that we've come to the end of ourselves. In times like these, let us remember who it is doing the pruning. The father is the vine dresser. We're not pruned by random circumstances of life. Not one leaf on us is allowed to be knocked off by an unexpected storm. There is nothing random or careless about the Father's work. He is unwaveringly careful and he is good. We have to know the character of the vine dresser and our identity as his sons because here are the seeds of doubt the enemy wants to sow into your heart when you feel cut back. The Father has forgotten me. I'm being punished. I must have done something really wrong or I must have taken a wrong turning somewhere. I don't know where I am. <laughs> this is evidence the father loves that person more than me because things are going better for them than for me. But here's the truth. He prunes those he loves. Far from being evidence that he's forgotten us, pruning is evidence that we are his children. Hebrews 12 talks about this exact thing. The author uses the word discipline, but it's the same idea. 
Hebrews 12, 7 says, it is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? He disciplines for our good that we may share his holiness. And then in verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline here doesn't mean punishment. It's to do with God training us and teaching us and pruning us. If we don't learn to trust the heart of the Father for us, we will come to see abiding and pruning as opposites. When things feel easy and abundant, we'll feel that we are truly abiding in Jesus. But then when things feel harder, we'll feel that we're drifting away. But there is no abiding without pruning. We're not pruned because we're unfruitful. We're pruned because we are fruitful. And it's pruning that yields more fruit. And the Father is looking for fruit because it's a sign that we are truly disciples of Jesus. Look at verses four and five. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you notice here the instruction is not to go and bear fruit. The instruction isn't to strive, to work, to bear fruit in Jesus. What's the instruction? To abide. So if it's abiding that brings the fruit, How do we abide? For Jesus, in this passage, to abide in the Father and in his love is to follow his Father's commandments. And so when we ask, like, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? The answer we see in this passage is to obey. So I want to ask today, and starting firstly with myself in this, How much are we treasuring the privilege of obeying Jesus? Of following his example of a life lived in joyful obedience to the will of God. This isn't about making us please, making him pleased with us. We don't obey to make him acceptable, to make, oh wow, to make us acceptable in his eyes. Obeying doesn't make him pleased with us. That would be a burden so heavy that none of us could bear it. No, because he is already pleased with us, because of the cross, we get to be obedient. Two verses later in this passage, Jesus says to his disciples, I don't call you servants, but friends. And then to paraphrase, he says, I want to let you in on what me and the Father are doing. Come and join me in my mission, my purpose. Come with me, I'll show you how to do it. What an invitation to be called a friend of Jesus. And what else does Jesus say about being his friend? Verse 14 in this passage. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Let us not believe the lie that joy is found in obeying ourselves. 
the invitation to obey is an invitation to a life of joy. At the end of this passage, Jesus says that. He says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you, the joy of Jesus in us, that your joy may be full. This is not a heavy burden. This is an invitation to us. Don't we long to live lives of joy and fulfillment? Here's the secret, that we lay down our lives in obedience to Jesus, that we pick up his easy yoke and work alongside him as he brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, as we were praying for. Lord, bring us in on that. So then it's as we obey, it's when we're focused on him, when our focus is on abiding in Jesus, following him, that then he brings the fruit. It's the most natural thing in the world for a grapevine to produce grapes. It's the most natural thing in the world for a follower of Jesus to produce fruit. But the fruit is not our focus. Our role is abiding. His role is to take care of the fruit. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians during a bit of a, it's a, bit of a kind of fracas happening. <laughs> that word's not in my notes. <laughs> um, in, his, in this church he's talking to and he's saying, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. And this is good news for us because it means that the results are not down to us. It means that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, abiding in him, being faithful in prayer, reading his words, humbly walking out the commandments that we see in those words, we don't have to worry about the results. The pressure to succeed and the burden of achievement is gone. There are times that I can look back over the last 10 months and ask, what have I achieved here? Or even like, where is the fruit from this time for the kingdom? And I would guess I'm not alone in having had that thought at least once over the past year. But his ways are not our ways. His understanding of success, his definition of fruit, is not our understanding of success. For God does not look at the outward appearance of things, things as they may appear in the moment. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the eternal. So what you've done in quiet obedience to Jesus, it will bear fruit, even if that fruit doesn't look the way you expect. It will bear fruit in your own heart, in the lives of others, and it will bear fruit into eternity in ways I believe we will not see until we get there. And that means that the prayers you've prayed for months, maybe years, they will bear fruit. It means that the time you spend with God in sleepy mornings, reading the Bible day in, day out, praying as you feed your baby in the middle of the night, when you do your job with integrity and diligence, when you stumble through an offer to pray for someone who doesn't know God, when you remain faithful to your spouse, when you quietly give away your money, you will bear fruit. So often I can think the, the fruit of my works should, be, should look like having an easy time, that people think well of me or people are impressed with me. And this happens when I desire the fruit that my sinful pride wants. 
or the results that the world tells me to chase after, which are sour grapes, and not the kind of fruit that the Father is looking for, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit that our Father, the vine dresser, is growing in us as we abide. We don't have to strive to be more like this list. If you've ever tried through willpower alone to be deeply peaceful or patient, then you'll know that is a plan doomed to fail, probably day one, maybe hour one, to be honest. This fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is a natural result of a life lived in him. It's likely that as I've been speaking, it's crossed your mind, because it crossed mine as I was writing it, that often you don't feel very obedient or your obedience feels kind of weak and small. Be encouraged that that kind of question is evidence that you are in the vine. People who are not following Jesus aren't particularly fussed about whether or not they're being obedient. Remember how you were added to the vine in the first place. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are saved through believing his words, not trusting in your own works. Remember that however weak our faith sometimes feels, the Father is carefully tending our faith. He will prune us because he loves us. Why? To produce more fruit that like that vine gets stronger when it's pruned, that our faith may get stronger. And then what about all those things that we do every day that are not in obedience to him? He has taken them as far as the east is from the west. Because Jesus, the true vine, was perfectly obedient. When Israel, the first vine, failed, And we get in on his life because he was cut off and thrown into the fire. We have nothing to fear. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we are in. Can I put the band up? We're going to just pray to finish and just bring the words of this passage before God. Ask for his help and ask for his grace. Ask that we would see his glory again. Maybe um, if you're able at home or in the room, if you'd like to stand. As we come to the end of this I Am series, Let's remember again that Jesus is everything. He is the gate and the shepherd and the light and the bread, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth. He is everything. He has the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? 
let us come to him again this morning. Let us come before him again. Let us joyfully say, we have nowhere else to go, Jesus. It's only you. Let us joyfully again say, Jesus, you are our life. Let us come and abide again in him. Let us taste and see that he is good. He is not a harsh master. He's a kind father. You are good. Maybe you feel that you are in a time of pruning at the moment that obvious corporate pruning but also some stuff going on in your own heart your own life you feel a bit confused you feel a bit cut off why don't you come again to the Father this morning or this evening and you receive his grace Jesus I pray pray for those who feel pruned this morning. I pray for those who feel cut back. Would you draw so close? Thank you for your promise that you are close to the brokenhearted. You are close to those who feel crushed in spirit. And for those of us that hear those words, Jesus says, come and abide. Come and obey me. Come and follow me. If you don't know him, if you've never done that before, you never said, I follow Jesus, you can do that right now. You can say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Or if you did that 50 years ago, you can say that again today. If you feel that longing in your heart to come and abide with Jesus again. To turn away from things that are keeping us from truly abiding. To joyfully laying down our lives. Why don't you just hold out your hands as a sign that you just give it to him again. Jesus, we give you our lives again this morning. We joyfully surrender to you, Jesus. What a privilege it is, Jesus, to follow you. To live a life in obedience to you, Jesus, it is everything. Thank you so much, Jesus.